Hey guys, we are living the authentic life and have we got an incredible show for you today. This beautiful darling woman is a New York Times bestselling author. I was amazed by your resume. Two um, undergraduate degrees from Princeton and uh, American and French. English literature. and French, yes, yes. And then Stanford girl? Yes, I got an MBA from Stanford, which is wow. not very typical for authors, but I did it. And you have this incredible two series of books, but we're here today to talk about the third book in your series, American Royals. Yes. And I dress like one of the covers trying to emulate your... Uh, it looks perfect. <laughs> one of your main characters, but... So many young girls and boys dream of growing up and being New York Times bestsellers. Can you tell us, like, was that your dream from the time you were a young girl? I have always wanted to be a writer. Okay. I am very much a reader, and I, I just grew up always with a book in my hand. Uh -huh. And so I used to say when I was little that I would grow up and write books. I didn't know what kind of book that I would write. Mm. And now, as an adult, I gravitate towards happy stories that have a lot of romance in them and and young people kind of coming of age figuring out who they are and what they want from life and sort of and what they want to be when they grow up which is something that everyone struggles with I feel like I'm still struggling with it some days oh and girl so, I didn't become yeah. the vintage contessa until 11 years ago so I was in my 40s till I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up and exactly. I'm still reformulating that and I think that now more than ever that's okay they're making it more okay to become I think so. I think and to the... change who you want to be in the process and not be so defined from the moment you state a major or choose yes. a career path. Yes. No one knows who they are, what they want when they're 16 or 18. And I think that's the fun of going to college and going on this journey. So my characters are all ages 18 to, to 25. Mm. And they're all in that life stage of figuring out, you know, who are they? How do they fit into the world? Uh, what is their purpose? And and they just happen to be royalty. So there's an extra layer of forbidden love and and drama and um, fate even in the sense that, you know, royalty is kind of one of the last things where I think you really truly have a destiny. In modern mm. life, we're not, it's, we're not living Charles Dickens novels anymore where people are defined by, you know, who their parents are, how much money their parents have. People can grow up to be anything uh, unless you are a future king and then you really do have your job picked out for you from when you were a child. So I think so it's very amazing. interesting. And all these shows out there about the monarchy, I've been obsessed with The Crown. I, love I just the Crown. watched Spencer on a movie coming home and Kristen Stewart yes. was really compelling in that mm -hmm. role. But I think we're finally realizing that being royalty isn't all glamour that there's a lot that goes with that. Is that laced into the characters in your book? Oh, absolutely. So my books are narrated by four different young women. Okay. They're sort of, uh, we call that multi-POV. So each, each character takes turns with the chapter and it follows the two princesses of America. So the, the older princess who is going to be the very first queen of America. Wow. As in kind of like, um, well, in England, there was a very similar law, and in France, that 
you know, women couldn't rule unless there was basically no man available to rule. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the Queen Victoria drama is they were looking and looking for any kind of male cousin to take the throne and and Victoria only because they just had no other Other options. Right. And so so in my books, Princess Beatrice, who's the older sister, is going to be America's very first queen. And then there's her younger sister, who's sort of a a female Prince Harry, if you will. She's very, very fun, very rowdy. She's uh, the spontaneous one, the one who sort of baits the press and dances on tables. And then her best friend also narrates. So she's sort of my commoner point of view. And she has a crush on the the royal brother, the only prince, Prince Jeff. And then also Prince Jeff's ex-girlfriend, who is trying to get back into the royal world and date him again, is is the fourth narrator. So I've got like two different love triangles working at once. There's sort of the two girls angling for Prince Jeff love triangle. And then there's kind of a love tangle between the two sisters and a boy or two. So there's a very, very high octane drama in the books. I would say imagine the crown if like Shonda Rhimes had done the crown for CW, <laughs> like with a bunch of teenagers playing the roles. So it's it's got all the royal stuff. There's lots of balls and tiaras and carriage rides where people are kissing in the backseat. But then there's also um, just teenagers being teenagers. Which is so true. And another, um, and taking this narrative perspective, I actually have a journalism background and I love writing. And I mentioned to you, my daughter is really into writing, which, um, and I'm a big part of the, um, we published a children's book and we work with a woman um, named Melissa Williams. And she um, has a 501c3 that encourages kids to write. And I think it's so great because it's also an mm-hmm. outlet for kids to um, express themselves and to maybe transform to a different place in a different world. And another thing that I found so interesting about reading was to find out like Coco Chanel never even went places that she yes. based her clothes upon. She just read about them. So the fact that you're you're able to create this journey, not being a royal, but suspecting what royals would go through is, it's just all pretty fascinating. Did, and you, it goes back to college. You wrote about this in yes, college. And like I this love, was your perspective even then. I'm fascinated by royalty for the reasons that we talked about before. I think, um, I think that I love stories with drama and with interesting characters. And I think, and stories with families that are complicated. And there are yes. no places where <laughs> those things all come become so clear in a royal situation because everything is just higher stakes. It's a sibling conflict, except one sibling is going to inherit the throne and be the one whose face is printed on the money and be the one that everyone bows to. And the other sibling will just be effectively forgotten by history. You know, we never remember or talk about the younger siblings that didn't become well, king. Elizabeth and Margaret. It's we very just... much Elizabeth and Margaret. And I love how they've done that on the crown. And there's quite yes. a bit of that dynamic in the books. There's also the, the parent-child conflict becomes much more complicated when your parent is not only your mom or dad, but also your boss. And you are yes. not just their child, but their successor. So there's a lot of um, the, the those trappings of royalty make the family drama feel 
bigger and more epic. And so I think for that reason, I've always found these royal stories fascinating. I love the, anything about the Tudors. I love Versailles. I love Queen Victoria. And so I've, I've been reading biographies and historical mm -hmm. novels about them effectively my whole life. And I always actually thought that I would write a historical fiction book. Okay. And then this is kind of the story that I ended up getting really excited about. So I got this idea in 2011 when William and Kate got married. Yes. I was living in New York, uh, working in book publishing at the time. I used to work as an editor of young adult fiction. So I was deep in the young adult world. And I was just so struck by how excited everybody in New York got about the royal wedding. I, um, I also, I was 22 at the time, 23. So I did go to a royal wedding party at a bar before work because that's what you do when you're young. Yeah, and I went completely. with I went with yes. friends and um, we went at, it started at 5:30 a.m. and I got all ready I got up early and got all ready and had a hat and a cute pink dress and it was bottomless mimosas and they had the royal wedding on these big screens okay. where they probably normally play like you Sports. know yeah the, yes. the college football games right and it was just a pack of women all excited about this and um, and so then you know fast forward three hours later I've had a number of the bottomless mimosas and I'm walking to work and and. The royal wedding's on the Jumbotron at Times Square. It's on every single newsstand. Yes. It's like people are talking about it, you know. And so I just thought it was so fascinating that we were having in America this big moment around the wedding of royals that don't even belong to us. So then I started thinking, well, like, why, you know, what would it be like if we had a royal family? And the first few times I told this idea to people, I got a lot of laughter really? because everyone thinks that's so illogical because the whole point of the revolution was to throw off monarchy but the deeper that you dig the the revolution was more to throw off england and that particular monarch who was i mean if you saw hamilton why yes. should a tiny island across the sea regulate the price of tea you know it's very uh it was it made no sense to them that someone who's far away who had never set foot in america and never would would be their king but uh and and then of course the the men who were writing the laws and who were our founding fathers had this idea of democracy, but it was very new. And the common people did not think that. So I have found a number of letters from the time of common soldiers who were in the Revolutionary Army and and who were writing home saying, we can't wait till uh, George Washington is our king. We can't, because that was all they knew was monarchy. And so they were of the opinion, they just assumed that we were going to throw off England and then become our own country and then have a king again. And so I, I love that's that. that's all they've ever known. Yes. And you even see that with people in communism, like they're so accustomed to living a certain way. Yes. And I think that's even true for human nature is we might know that something's not working, but it's what we know and then we go repeat it. Like they say, like yes. you marry your father who has all the qualities <laughs> that you don't, because that's what yes. you're comfortable with because that's all you've ever known. So in your book, George Washington did become a king. king. So that in the book, he really was offered a crown, which mm -hmm. never happened. And he did say yes. And he did become the first king of America. And then the book takes place in the present day where we're following the modern American royal family. So as I said, it's, it's the king and the queen, and then the two princesses and the prince and all of their focusing on the younger generation. And did and you talk about Martha when you talked about Washington? Was she a big player? 
she, she's, um, she's part of it. There's a, there's a little bit of flashing back in the prologue, but I don't uh-huh. go too deep on the history. Okay. When people quiz me hard, I did, I do have a timeline of the history because I don't, you know, I want it to be thought out and consistent within the books. But again, the books are meant to be dramatic and fun and romantic and not, you know, a political treatise and not going deep on the timeline of my alternate God, history, America. That. Don't we so have enough going deep we, on exactly. political? Can't we just be fashion girls having fun? There's mostly fashion girls <laughs> having fun. So I made the timeline for myself so that within the books, things are consistent. Like I keep talking about King Edward the first from the 1800s and, mm-hmm. you know, I need to make sure I, but, but I don't put all that in the book, but in real life, George Washington, you may know, had no children. So that's the other oh, thing is people. I didn't even put that together. People always ask me, well, well, how does your book work if he didn't have children? So it's fiction. I'm like, for, yes, first of all, it's first fiction. First of all, it's fiction. So I have a little bit of. And did you watch um, Inventing Anna when they say I in love, the beginning, yes. everything is true except everything? Okay, I uh, yeah, everything about the story is true except for the parts that are totally made up. And I was like, that yes. should be on my book cover <laughs> because, because people most like of it's made up. What everything that they read, and what I love about that is then it made me like Google what was real. Yes, because then you go back and you want to like when you're her re- story is fascinating. Reading about Madoff or reading about you know different mm-hmm. people, you want to know what the story and what part. It's real. So I think it's interesting because people want it to be real because they engage yes. with the characters so much. And that was something we talked about a little, a little bit is during COVID, the thing I feel like, and we agreed on this, that we missed the most was connection with people. Absolutely. So people really wanted to create connection. And there was this incredible opportunity. There's a book called Outliers. If you don't haven't ever read it, Malcolm Gladwell. I know I have not read it, but I, I know I'm yes, familiar with it. Yes, but the premise is that there's, um, sorry, there's hey. snorting and, and uh, snoring. Um, the premise is that there's certain times in the world that offer you an opportunity that wouldn't be there otherwise. And so COVID happens. Everyone's at home, or people connecting with your characters and like binge reading did you hear a lot of that covid was a very interesting time for the publishing industry Mm -hmm. in general and and for me in particular Mm -hmm. um, my books have well it's so to back up publishing doesn't collect a lot of data it's not a business where that i don't know i only know things very anecdotally about like what my demographic is okay got it so we have especially with any kind of brick and mortar sale. I mean, you're oh. running a business. You probably, I'd, I'd be curious to how much data you collect on, like, no, you're, it's probably mostly anecdotal. It's yes. mostly you're just looking at people and thinking, I've lately, I've Perceived. sold to a lot, some younger people are late. And so I don't actually know, you know, uh, by the hard numbers, how old my average reader is. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think that I have a strong readership ages 14 to 20, and then again, for 20 to 30, and then I still actually have a decent number of older readers who mm-hmm. read the book in book clubs, who kind of do like a mm-hmm. young adult book club every now and then or something. And, um, but it's, and so it's hard, it's hard to say. But the one thing I do know is how many people are buying my book in ebook versus hardcover versus audio. And traditional young adult novels that are meant for younger people sell 70% hardcover and the rest in the other formats. And I sell like 30 to 40% hardcover. I have very strong ebook sales. And then I sell, I think I sell 40% audio. 
I wow. have huge audio following. And so and my we talked books, about that. You're not the one reading it. Yes, and I don't I don't do the audio <laughs> performance, but I my audiobook sales and my ebook sales grew even stronger in COVID, which was lucky for me that I already had that because nobody because stores closed down. So nobody could oh. buy my book at Barnes and Noble or Target. I used to have some what we like to call the impulse buy, yes. you know, because my they book. They walk by in your covers. So the cover is beautiful, Darling. and I'm lucky that my books are carried at Target and Walmart. Yeah, and um, I buy so and many some books grocery there. stores and airports. So oh, good. Which are the places where everywhere I buy? Yes, the, the you know you're you're Target, you, Walmart, grocery store. You totally want the shopper who's like at airport. Target to buy yeah. baby medicine or whatever it is, and then picks up a book. Because it's right there on the aisle, so um, so all of that fell off, but my wow. ebook sales climbed and my audiobook sales climbed, so I think it ended up being net, you know, same. Mm-hmm. But what was interesting was as we talked about, I think that the whole point of reading, kind of going back to what you said about the traveling, is that reading, you know, it, it used to be called um, armchair travel in the sense that you oh. you were at home the whole time, but it's the the most cost-effective and easiest way to experience things that are completely outside your comfort zone or escape to something that, you know, have have a moment of levity when things are tough. And so I think in particular, my books, you know, I don't want them to be frivolous. They, they are about young people growing up and there's quite a lot in them about, you know, what does it mean to be a young woman? How, like, how hard do I fight for the things that I want? at what personal cost, you know, how, how, what does it mean to inherit, um, the dreams and, and pressures of my parents for, for all the characters and like, how much do I want that is my own versus what was, what I was told that I want. So there's all of that in there. Kind of like when you feed someone a, like a really good pasta that has a little bit of zucchini in it, you know, it's, it's all there. And, and I, I hope that people will think on some level about, about these things, but for the most part, the books are like a big romp through a glittering tiara world with a lot of kissing. And so, and that's what we all needed right now. And we so do. the publishing has romance sales have climbed oh. and sales of, um, of, you know, very serious, heavy, what I like to call the sort of the hopeless adult fiction have not done as well since COVID because I think the real world is in a dark place and so nobody... Much. Nobody wants to read Cormac McCarthy anymore. Like we just need a break. We want open a book and we want to, to we want a lighthearted world. So that's you know bad things happen in my book. It's not a it's yeah. not a world where nobody gets perfect. hurt. Right. But it is ultimately optimistic, and I think that is what people need right now. Completely. So Beatrice as a name happens to be one of the royals' names. How I did know. that work out? <clears throat> Beatrice is the daughter of my agent. Okay. And way back uh, when we were first talking about this concept, I kept saying, I, we've got to name a princess Beatrice because I've never named a character after his daughter. And, uh, and so she made her way in. And it sounded royal to me. And I knew there was a royal cousin, but I didn't. I didn't, I wasn't, when we started, you didn't knowingly. I didn't know as much about Princess mm-hmm. Beatrice. I know quite a lot more now. Right. I've read a lot more about the extended modern royal family in the last three years than I had before. Mm-hmm. And then in Briggerton, the author's voice that we hear is, what is, have you seen that show? I love that show. I have not seen season two yet. 
But um, her name is Mrs. or Miss, like she's a Lady Whistledown. Whistledown. Yes. She's a mystery person. So I thought that was an interesting. I love Bridgerton. So the first thing I did after I saw Bridgerton uh-huh. was Google um, what came out first, Bridgerton or Gossip Girl. Because I, I don't know if you had the same, I was like, did Bridgerton steal from Gossip Girl or did Gossip Girl steal from Bridgerton? And it turns out uh, Bridgerton book one did come out a year before the first Gossip Girl novel. Only because, and obviously that was not, that doesn't belong to Gossip Girl. But that, that uh, trope, that sort of storytelling technique of like, I'm an anonymous society blogger and I'm going to spill all your dirty little secrets was to me, it was just Gossip Girl in Regency England with a lot of really fun looking cast and so and I loved it I was so connected to that journey so um let's talk a little bit as I said I have a 14 year old so we're in the process and it's fascinating instead of google now she looks at tiktok and she looks to figure out things and she's like look at this tiktok about because Princeton and Stanford are on her list of places to go and I have so many friends whose kids um have applied and so mm-hmm. how was that? Like, did you always know you wanted to do to go to Princeton? I mean, Princeton is really number one on a lot of lists. And to yeah. get in there from a writing, I mean, it's just exceptional. How, how did that path come about? Because I think so many kids dream of that, too, as a stepping stone. I know. And college admissions seem harder and harder these days. Yes. It scares me. I'm, I mean... Yeah, it's it's the same number of children applying. Well, sorry, the same number of spots, I mean, and like three times as many students applying. Yes. And so they're frantically trying to add spots as best as they can. They built a whole new residential college at Princeton to mm-hmm. accommodate, you know, another 800 people per class. And they could probably take three times that many and have everyone be, you know, qualified. So mm-hmm. I think it's getting very, very competitive and hard. I, you know, I... I'm really lucky that I got to go there. It was a fantastic opportunity. Mm-hmm. I worked extremely hard in high school. Okay. And um, and I'm very nerdy, if you can't tell. I'm my... You seem so darling to My be agent is very funny. He was like, you have such a unique brand, and he calls it fashionable nerd. And I, I was like, I love it. That's kind of like I I have always been deeply passionate about the very weird things that I'm passionate about. Like I would love, I, we can talk about Louis the 14th and Versailles and we can talk, you know, I, I, I love, um, I true, I feel really passionate about like the 17th and 18th century literature that I grew up studying in high school and in college. And I think that for ch- when students are applying, I think what stands out is people who have something that really matters to them. Absolutely. And that I just have do have distinct memories of being in my Princeton interview and having the interviewer, the local Houston alum mm-hmm. who was interviewing, talk to me about this stuff. And we, we talked mostly about, about my interests and what I wanted to study and how I had these dreams of like going to France and doing a study abroad about playwriting in the 17th century in France and he was like this is so interesting that you're 18 years old and you and you just like this stuff and I think that's what matters and what whatever your interest is whether it's I want right. to play the the oboe or I you know I want to cure this disease or I want I so I actually do interviews for Princeton now I just do two a year but um but just for local high school students in the area and I notice when the children are, I shouldn't call them children, they're, they're 18, but when, when the students are mm-hmm. 
really passionate about something. Mm -hmm. And when they just are there to check a box yes. and they're just like, I'm and just they applying. Know what, they want to tell you what they think you want to hear versus yes. expressing themselves. And that kind of goes to your point about authenticity that we went, because I, I, for me, I mean, you know, obviously they're letting in at all the top schools, they're letting in smart students, but I think there's like a step beyond, which is just being a person who really cares deeply about something. And I think if you, and you know, not everyone has found out what they care deeply about at 18, but, but it doesn't have to be an academic pursuit or a, or a career. It can be that you care deeply about your family or you care deeply about your community or something. But I think I can just tell the students that like, don't seem to care. And they are sort of, they're applying because they were told by their parents they're supposed to apply. Or because it seems like that's the right school to go to. It seems to, like what they're supposed to be doing. To a place that they're going to be successful. So one of my favorite quotes I found over the last two years in writing a TED Talk was by Howard Thurman. And you might yes. not know his name. Do you know Howard Thurman? But he was the person who mentored um, Martin Luther King. Oh, and well, okay. he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what lights your soul on fire, because what the world needs is, and I don't know that he said soul on fire, but what lights you, uh, what lights up your soul, because what the world needs is more people who are on fire. Yes. And that's what you're kind of saying. It's like, don't, don't go and search, like, where do I fit in? But just be you, do what you love yes. and follow that drive because and believe in something. And I think there's so much to that visualization of it too. Like that you you saw this connection and you felt connected with it, the storyline of the royals. And it's interesting and that you say that because I do have a story, which is the first time that I tried to write American Royals, I was trying to write for the market, as we say. Oh, so this wow. was when... Okay. Um, when House of Cards had just come out on Netflix, the Kevin Spacey show, and oh, I, as you can probably tell powerful. from my from my demeanor, I don't really read or watch a lot of political thrillers. Uh -huh. um, my husband and I did watch House of Cards because I, again, I was working in publishing at the uh -huh. time, and we talked a lot about broader trends in entertainment uh -huh. and sort of what people were getting excited about, always trying to kind of anticipate the next trend. Uh -huh. And so I had this idea for this world with an American monarchy mm -hmm. and I turned it into a thriller. So it was oh. actually, it was very different in tone. It still had multiple narrators because I mm -hmm. do love that device, but like mm -hmm. half the narrators were male. One was a security guard mm -hmm. who like the bodyguard character who now is Beatrice's love interest, one of her love interests. And one was, um, yeah, uh, basically oh, a young man who too. was, he's so great. He's very dreamy, <laughs> but it was very, very different. And then the Royals were being assassinated one by one. And we, it was all like a plot to see yes. who's, what, who's killing off members of the Royal family and what's happening. And there were, there were shootings and there were poisonings and there was like a princess Diana style car crash. And it was all very different. And my agent, the one who's Beatrice's dad, read it and who who's my boss at the time and I took it to him and he said I don't know like what's going on here I love your I'm really glad to know that you want to write but this doesn't feel like you and it feels like you're trying to write for the market and for something specific and let's try to figure out your story the story that you want to tell the story that you want to read and so we end up setting the whole royal concept aside 
and working on the concept that became my first series, which is a sort of a futuristic love story set in Manhattan 100 years from now. But it's very, it's a very optimistic, hopeful world. It's kind of, it's like the Jetsons in tone. I don't know what else to say. Like, <laughs> I love it. there's no post-apocalyptic novel that compares. Like, it's it's just a world where we actually got everything right in the future, and people oh, like we have so robots, good. but they're not trying to kill us, and they're not really very scary robots. They're kind of more like Roombas, and they, you know, so yeah. like the vacuum cleaners on the floor. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And we anyway. So so I wrote three books in that series, and then I circled back to American Royals because. I have never been able to let go of this concept and I really liked it. And Josh, my agent, kept saying, I just, that was weird. Like, what were you trying to do there? And so I had to sit down with it and say, what are the parts of this that were working? Mm -hmm. And what are the parts that I, you know, what are the things that I, that I like in stories? I like, as we've talked about, young people growing up, romance, a, a lot of, a lot of fun uh, relationship drama and sort of tangled love lives. And none of that was present in the book that I had tried to write. And that, that I think, is a broader lesson in creative fields of exactly what you said. You know, do, do the thing, like write the book that you would want to read. You know, do the creative project that speaks to you. Don't try to do it because people are writing thrillers now and thrillers make money, so I should write a thriller. You know, if, you, if you're not a thriller person, your thriller won't turn out good. <laughs> it will turn out weird and, and it, won't, it won't have that note of passion and authenticity that is what is necessary to make it to make it shine and that kind of goes back to the term that i mentioned to you um ikigai which is when you can find what you love to do and you find what makes the world a better place mm -hmm. and you're able to be paid for it then you can do it and reach a state of flow so you could do it all the time because it just naturally comes to you. I wish I could do it all the time. <laughs> there are a lot of days I'm like sitting yes. at a computer and I'm like, what is happening here? Well, and I But I know what you mean, yes. Yes, but it but it it's so where um you know that that idea of people having careers that are nine to five, just it that's not really a life anymore now with no with um phones and everything being mm -hmm. instant and you feel bad if you haven't responded within 10 minutes let yes. alone, versus snail mail or a fax or something like it's just all so different and um and i i just every person i've talked to who i feel like uh, sorry again I know, she's so snoring girl um, so every person I talk to that has reached this place of success, they're doing what they love. Yes. And it's an effort sometimes, even when you love things, sometimes you have to, yes. I say, put on your big girl panties or pull your britches up yep. <laughs> and do it. And yeah. so how do you sort of, when you get writer's block, how do you kind of work through that? Are there different tools that you use? I wish I had a perfect answer. I would say overall, there are kind of, <clears throat> for me, there are two kinds of writer's block. Uh -huh. And so one kind, <clears throat> which is the easier kind to fix, is I don't have, and I literally was dealing with this yesterday because we're also renovating a house, which is very exciting, but is a big project. And, and I was trying to focus on writing and uh -huh. I literally couldn't, and I try to protect my writing time 
Mm-hmm. And I put my phone, I do keep it, I put it on vibrate yes. on the other side of the room. Yes. And I close out all their apps. So I'm just in, in, in Microsoft Word, not looking at my email or anything. But um, I just kept thinking about my tile order. And your to-do and, list. And, and my to-do list. And usually I'm able to kind of close all that down mentally. And I just was writing and I kept thinking about my, I was like, I haven't placed a tile order. I haven't placed a tile order and I don't know what tile is going in this bathroom. And so I just stopped and like spent an hour figuring out the tile situation because sometimes you just have to. And so for me, it's like, if there's something else in your life that is intruding upon your creative time in such a way that you can't block it out, just go resolve it. And if sometimes it's very, very simple, like I am exhausted and I'm trying to plonk at keyboards and I just need to go take a nap or, um, you know, I haven't heard from my sister and she sent me a mean text and now I think she's mad at me and I need to call her and make sure we're not fighting or something like that is much easier to resolve. The harder writer's block is when it's not an environmental thing and you're the writing is just not the there. story is just something is not right. And you're writing and you're like, I'm not connecting with this. I'm not having fun uh, for me when I am writing and it is and I know that the story is right it that's when it becomes the most fun and mm-hmm. it's like the characters mm-hmm. you see on a rom-com and like I and I probably look like a like an insane person to if, if you were observing because I'm writing and I'm like smiling to myself and I write some kind of good line of dialogue and I'm like ha, ha, ha. I like laugh at it and it just flows very easily and I truly am doing what I love and those are the absolute best days and, and so the flip side is obviously the days where I'm just grinding it out and I'm thinking, this is not right. Something, somewhere I took a wrong turn. But do and you still push through that? It because depends. Because there's a certain amount of time that you need to invest and then it works out? I've, or... I've kind of gotten to a place where I try to push through till at least half of the draft okay. and reevaluate. To, I used to write the whole first draft and just push through and then reevaluate the story. So for mm-hmm. me, I, I change story as much as I need to to make sure I'm getting the story right. Because with so many characters mm-hmm. and such a plot-driven book, I have, like, the, it doesn't matter how pretty my sentences are. If I don't take my characters to the right place, the story won't feel good to you as a reader. So I have to make sure that every character's on the right journey for them. And sometimes that means I finish the whole draft and read it and look at the character and, and think, okay, you have a whole new story. And that has happened for one of my characters, for Princess Samantha, the mm-hmm. one who's sort of the female Prince Harry. Mm-hmm. Almost every book, I have rewritten her story from scratch. I've written her whole narrative arc with something, and then I end up hating it and have to strip it out and write like 11 or 12 entirely new chapters for her. So in one of the books, she went to college. It was very boring. She no longer goes to college. She has a new love interest instead. You're sensing the theme. There's a lot of love interest. I love it. No, and I remember um, one of my closest friends who is my big sister in the sorority who lives in New York, so I would always go see her. I remember one day she asked, one of her friends asked me my favorite movie, and I said, The Devil Wears Prada. She's like, that is so boring. I thought it was Gone with the Wind. It should be more classic than that. And I'm like, girl, I'm a fashion girl, and I just love silly and you want it to be fun stories and yes and I still remember like that I disappointed her that I wasn't more intellectual yes. with my favorite movie so you'll love it towards the very <laughs> end like <clears throat> I have to figure out the story and make sure all the characters are doing the right things and then uh-huh. by the third and then sometimes the fourth hopefully I'm not quite at a fourth draft but 
by those points, it's the story is all in place and I'm just making each scene feel really sharp and really fun. Mm -hmm. So there's a scene in book one that's mm -hmm. basically like the makeover scene, uh -huh. you know, where, yes, where the, the commoner girl in. gets to go to the room full of gowns and like try them all yes. on and Being and transformed. Leave. And so my editor at towards the end, she said, um, I don't know why, but this, the gown trying on scene just doesn't feel as fun as it could like can you just take another look through it and just kind of amp it up and so i sat at my computer and i googled top makeover montages in movies and i found like a list of 10 and of course the devil wears prada um the scene where she goes through the vogue closet was number one so i watched Stanley that Tucci, right? Stanley Tucci is masterful yeah. in that yes. So I, wa I probably watched that three times in yeah. a row. And I was like, why is this fun? What's working? What yeah. am I seeing? How is how is the scene building? And because then watch every woman's yeah. like putting herself in that place going, oh, what I would do in that yes. closet. And how do you choose? Like, is it your style? Like, how do you choose what fashion style? And I presume that you're kind of diving into yes. describing what each of them are wearing. There's a lot of describing style. what they're wearing. And that, it's a mix. Sometimes they wear things that my sister and I own. Sometimes they wear, which is, will be very funny. My friends will read uh -huh. a They're description. Like, They'll be like, that's the dress you wore to my wedding that you, have, that you put her in. I'm like, pretty sure that's your dress. And, uh, and sometimes I just pull descriptions off of, so I shouldn't say this, but um, the website that I lean on the most heavily is Oscar de la Renta because uh -huh. whoever writes the copy for Oscar de la Renta is they do a beautiful job. So, I mean, I love all kinds of gowns, but their copy, right. they write a whole paragraph under each gown. Oh, that's and they, interesting. They describe, like, a gown that gets one sentence on Monique or Carolina uh -huh. Herrera gets this long paragraph, and they describe the way the sleeves flutter, and they describe the material, and they use, like, 20 adjectives, and they'll be like, it's, you know, a, a fluttery, whimsical playful I don't and so sometimes when I'm really at a loss I'm like what are they what's, what's what is that going on at Oscar these days so my characters wear a lot of Oscar because I love their descriptions so I'll like cobble together three different of the evening gown descriptions and kind of like put my character in that so um god I love that. yeah and um I my ringtone is sex in the city so I love that each of the girls in yes. sex in the city have their own style is that true with all of the Absolutely. I would say one of them. So I actually did a launch event at Alice and Olivia, oh, which I'm wearing right now. Alice and Olivia, yes. And they, they, and my 14 year old's obsessed. It's so fun. And it transcends. Like I could wear Alice and Olivia and she could. There's a lot of different like length pieces and sort of different mm -hmm. occasions, which is really fun. So they were a good partner for this for American Royals book one. They let me launch the event in store oh, and fabulous. we dressed four of their mannequins as the four main characters. Love it. So Beatrice, her sort of classical elegant style became, we found this like very tailored white dress for her. And then mm -hmm. Sam, the rebel, had this like funky black dress, the denim jacket or something. I'm trying like a cool, mm. cool jewelry. Mm -hmm. Nina is the hipster. So she had like the grungiest thing Alice mm -hmm. and Olivia makes, which is from their LA line that mm -hmm. it was like a vintage uh, graphic tee and something. Mm -hmm. And then Daphne is the like very, very girly, girly mm -hmm. princessy one. So they had this awesome uh, black tie gown that had like pink feathers all over the hem. Oh. And we put that. So I put these big signs on each of the uh, mannequins and it was a great talking point because people would yes. be like, well, why is Daphne in the pink gown? And, you know, and then I could explain, well, Daphne, 
just wants to be royal and she's like ruthless and determined to marry into the royal family at any cost and um and she wants to dress the part so yes. so it was a really fun event i'm i'm hoping we can do something similar again in the future we will see i think i'm gonna have a really fun launch event for book three that's coming out in may and it will hopefully be some kind of fashion show i don't know yet if it'll have live models or it'll be mannequins or what but um i'll keep you posted for sure well i hope you will there's come. a way that we could even accessorize with birkins and chanel yes i hadn't even thought of that Cartier yes and van cleef and arpel oh, there's so a lot fun. of ways to um to bring that in so are there in talking about fashion and style what about personality style are there character friends that are like are you talking about me in this scene? All the time. <laughs> I had a few, when I first met a few fellow writers, when I was on tour for my first book, they said, watch out, people in your life are always going to think that they're the inspiration for your characters. And it so happens. I constantly have people be like, I can't believe you wrote this about me. And I think, was that, did I? Was that about you? I didn't even consciously think that. Um, I do occasionally slip moments of mm -hmm. of people that I know into the mm -hmm. books, but I would never say that I like wholesale wrote a person into the books. Mm -hmm. That would be lazy, frankly. But the closest analog is there's a decent amount of my sister in Princess Samantha. My mm -hmm. sister is the younger one. She mm -hmm. is spontaneous and the rule breaker mm -hmm. and um, wears her heart on her sleeve. She's, she's more emotional and I'm more reserved. Mm -hmm. She's like falls in love and you know every other minute and I like fell in love once in my life and so uh so she's there she's definitely the inspiration for some of Samantha but but Sam is different than Lizzie in a lot of ways but there will be moments where I end up like she'll be getting caught my character will be getting coffee and I'm thinking like what coffee what does Sam want and then I just write in my sister's Starbucks order because I'm like well I don't know she probably wants what Lizzie would want so oh my gosh, so there are so moments funny. when I do just uh cheat like, it a little plug bit it in. I just kind of plug it in or yeah what's she wearing to the beach and I'm like uh, what did Lizzie wear to the beach last time we went okay Sam's gonna wear that oh my gosh we've already run out of time and I want to ask you so, so many more questions so if you created um a series do you see it as a series or a movie oh i hope so my agent in la is fabulous mm -hmm. her name is gina and she's working very hard to make it a tv show so i think she is technically employed by warner brothers television uh -huh. uh, we don't need to get in the structure of entertainment is like beyond complicated and i'm i've like have deals signed with these people and i still don't understand it but you're like i don't she know works but i'm TV, with them so she's exclusively trying to sell it for tv right now Wonderful. And so and we'll see. I really hope so. Of who you would want to audition for different roles? Oh, I mean, there's so many. I feel like all the Helmsworth brothers are dreamy. Like, I would love any of them. The truth is, if this ever became a show, it would almost certainly be cast by, like, really attractive unknowns from Australia. You know, the way they always do. Oh. Or, like, or wherever. But I feel like there's a lot of the, like, hot Australians that are ages you know, 17 to 22 that are sort of around Hollywood and like, the, I don't know, we would see it depending on how high budget it was. I don't think mm -hmm. they would really get anybody I actually knew. But there are, I mean, there are definitely moments where I'm like thinking of some of the actors as I'm writing. So beautiful. This is fascinating, dreamy, takes you to another place and you 
are such an inspiration. I think you're the most you. darling nerd I've ever met. My daughter, <laughs> my daughter's a darling nerd, and her the guy she's dating's a darling nerd. So I have a we special love those. We love yes for the darling nerds. People are like, you're smart. She's like, why do people keep saying that to me? I said, I think it's a Good compliment. For her. It is a compliment. <laughs> Thank you. But anyway, well, please keep writing and sharing. And we're so honored you could be here. And thanks for giving Grace Kelly for snoring. Jeez, I love these snuggles. She's so sweet. I just want to put her in my pocket. Shop for your books. Yes. So my books are available anywhere that books are sold on on Amazon and bookstores. And as we talked about, ebook, audio. And um, I am on social media at Catherine McGee. Fabulous. Okay, guys. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much.